Good morning. Christy and I live here in Ankeny. We live in a pretty modest home in a regular neighborhood to which we are enormously thankful to the Lord for all that He's given us. But like any home anywhere, uh, it has its idiosyncrasies. It, it has its things that uh, maybe kind of stand out. And the thing at my house that stands out is we seem to have water pressure issues, uh, whatever it may be. When a faucet's on, it's not a problem, but when too many faucets are on or whenever Christy starts the washing machine, we suddenly start to hear our pipes go cha-chunk, cha-chunk, cha-chunk. You ever heard that sound before? And, and it's annoying, but it only really gets bad when you're taking a shower. Because when you take a shower and suddenly you hear that sound, cha-chunk, 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 you have one to two seconds to get out of there. Because one of two things is going to happen. Either that temperature is going to drop about 50 degrees and you're going to be dancing around shivering, or it's going to be about 20 degrees hotter and you'll watch your face melt off. Either one. Don't be in there when you hear that sound, cha-chunk, cha-chunk, cha-chunk. Now, why do I bring that up? I have no good reason. That's not actually what we're here to talk about today. I just wanted to complain <laughs> on that. Today, we're here to talk about conflict. And as we say many times, if you're in any relationship long enough, there's going to be some conflict. Yes, we can talk marriage because in marriage you're doing life together, you're with each other every day, emotions can run high, but the truth is conflict can happen in any relationship out there, except at my house. It doesn't actually happen at my house, but I heard it happens at yours. So I'll do my best to try to walk through it. Because what I hear about conflict out there is that, uh, you know, you say something that you're not supposed to say, and your spouse gives you the gift of what they give you, which is to tell you you're wrong on that. Uh, you being the more mature one, though, in the relationship, retort back, no, you're wrong. And, uh, and it kind of goes back and forth like that. And, uh, but more than that, typically what you'll do is you'll begin to explain to her why she's wrong. And like any good attorney, you begin to lay out your case, fact by fact, bit by bit, which you know, should make her happy, right? In that point, only she's not happy, no matter how amazing a job you do at being a lawyer in that point. Because what she's inevitably going to do is point out the one piece and one fact that you didn't point out, and which at that point, checkmate on you, Right? Now, that should be the end of the conversation at that point, but it isn't, because like many of us out there, we got to get the last word in, don't we? Got to have that final say, and it doesn't matter if it has anything to do with your argument or not. You're just going to drop that little love bomb off like a big wrapped gift for them to open, and you drop your mic, and you walk away, ha ha, I got you. I think I'll go take a shower. And as that nice warm water runs down your face and you're feeling good about life and all things have returned to normal in the universe, all you hear is cha-chunk, cha-chunk, cha-chunk. Guess who got the last word? <laughs> like I said, that's never happened in my house, though, recently. Uh... Welcome to Matters of the Heart, and this week we're talking about quarreling and fighting, conflict in the relationship. In fact, James, Jesus' half-brother, he had this to say, and it's just so true. 
He asks, what causes fights and quarrels among you? It's a good question. He's talking to a church that's fighting amongst each other, but this, this question qualifies for any relationship. What causes fights and quarrels among us? And what we're going to see is in the first three chapters leading up to this, James set his groundwork. He made his case for what gets him to the point of asking this question. And so we need to go back ever so briefly and look at some of the points he has made to build and eventually ask this question. Now, we're not going to have time to cover every single piece of three chapters today, so I'm going to encourage you in your personal study time this week to go read the book of James. It's an amazing book, and it, and it talks about a, conflicts and quarrels and what's at the core of this, and I believe you would be enormously blessed. If you're one of those folks that likes to follow along in your Bible, we're going to be in the book of James the entire time today, so you can open up. It's in the New Testament towards the end on that. But he asks, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, let's back up then. In James chapter 1, verse 19, we see a verse that in your Bible, every now and then I tell you, you need to underline this verse, highlight it, put a big star next to it. This one is an amazing life verse, a golden nugget for you to take anywhere with you. And we see that in James chapter 1, verse 19. In fact, this verse is so important that I want us to read this together. Only, I would like us to read this like people who just drank caffeine, okay? James 1.19, read this with me. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. One more time, it's so important. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Okay, so in the midst of tension and uh, conflict is rising, things are getting heated. Let me ask, are you quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry? Or maybe when the tension is rising, you tend to get angry, maybe a little defensive especially when the heat's on. Which one's you, A or B? Well, we'll get back to that. Let's keep building our case. The next thing we see from James is in chapter 2. In verse 5, he says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Now you say, what does this have to do with quarreling? Hang with me for a minute because we're going to build our case. Something that James was wrestling with in this church is something that's so subtle, it can enter into our relationships and our arguments, and we can miss it. What he was dealing with there was a problem with favoritism. And the rich people in particular were getting treated differently than those who were not rich. They got the best seats in the house. They got a little more time and attention from everyone else. And yet, James is like, hey, these very people that are getting special attention from you, they're the ones oppressing you, by the way. He goes on to remind them in verse 8. He tells them this. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, what is that? Love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin 
and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Okay, so what's going on here, Jason? What does this have to do about quarreling and fighting? And what I have to ask is, what do you think is at the root of favoritism? What's the sin he's calling out there? And here it is. Don't miss this. When you show favoritism to someone else, you are condescending the other party. You are telling a group of people you're not good enough. They are somehow above you. In fact, they are better than you. You are of lesser value. And let me ask you something, because you can do this one-on-one in a relationship too. What happens when you come into an argument and you think you're better than the other person? Kind of got quiet in here suddenly. Or maybe you've been on the other side of that. Have you ever been in an argument where you feel like someone is talking down to you? Like they're treating you like a child? Like you're something less than them? James is saying, what causes fights and quarrels in you? One of the things might be you think a little bit too highly of yourself. And maybe you need to come down to earth. He then goes on to remind us in verse 13, he says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, the other party doesn't need you to condescend them. What they need is mercy and love. Why? Because you were shown mercy and love. And they need to be treated with dignity and respect. Why? Because every single person created in this earth was created in the image of God and therefore is worthy of your time, respect, and you must show them the greatness in which they do deserve. Why? Because they are sons and daughters of the living king. When you walk up to somebody, especially Christian, do you consider them royalty? Because you know what a child of God is? A child of the king? Royalty. Protect their greatness and treat them with respect. That's why he asked the next big question that really hits home in verse 14. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? By the way, this does not do well for say a prayer, go to heaven theology. It doesn't. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith and they have no deeds? I mean, can that faith truly save them? And we've covered this many times. It was clearly a problem in James's time. It's clearly a problem today. Your faith is more than just a head exercise. It's more than just what you think. We've said time and time again, it's from your head, it's to your heart, it's to your hands. Today, we're going to add another one that I'll just go ahead and give you the spoiler alert. From your head, to your heart, to your tongue. Because the Bible says, from your heart, your tongue speaks. What does your heart say about your faith? And James is saying, what good is your religion if you're always angry, condescending others, and you're unloving? Do your words match your theology? What you believe about God? And by the way, since we're on the subject of words... He had a few things to say about that, too, in particular the tongue. We see in James 3, 
The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by only a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by what? Let's hear that again. On fire by what? Hell. Strong words from James here about the tongue. We need to pay attention to what he's saying. Because you've got to ask yourself, does your tongue build people up or does it rip them down? Which is it? And I know for a lot of us, we're reading this and we're going, great reminder, James. Thank you. Um, I really need to take that to heart. I um, appreciate the advice, man. That, that's so, I am going to work really hard this week on taming my tongue and watching what I say. And doing the right things. I'm, I'm going to just have a discipline of uh, just, you know, getting my tongue right this week. But uh, let me ask you, do you really think you can do this by yourself? Because I have to tell you, James doesn't think so. He says, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No human being can tame the tongue. You want to tame your tongue? You want your words to build people up rather than tear them down? You want it to honor God? Then you must submit to His will, His way. You must be born again. You must have the Holy Spirit living in and through you so that it can transform your mind, your heart, and then it will transform your tongue. But without Jesus, you can't do it. You can't. Oh, you might get it right for a little bit. But remember, the Bible's clear time and time again. From the overflow or overflow of your heart comes your words. The tongue. Your heart will eventually give you away. Especially in conflict when the heat is on and people are backed into corners. How many of you have said things in the heat of an argument you'd love to take back? If you want to tame your tongue, only the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you can do that and nothing else, okay? Nothing else. Give up. Just give up and give it to God and allow Him to transform you. James then asks another question as we get closer and closer to chapter 4. Verse 13, he asks, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. Here he is again. Make sure your actions go with your words. Show, by, show it by their good life and by deeds done in humility. Oh boy, there's a big word right there. In humility that comes from wisdom. Now, we live in very unique times because according to written history, humankind has been able to achieve modern advancements unlike any other time that we're aware of in history. We put another spacecraft on the moon this week. Pretty cool. 
We can do things medically that they never could do in the past. I think ice cream is awesome. But did you know, in all of our advancements and for all the intelligence we have gained, that wisdom and intelligence are two different things? They're not the same thing. Intelligence is the ability to perceive, pose, and resolve problems. And that's a good thing. But wisdom is the ability to discern what the right thing to do is in the right moment. And the problem is, in our culture today, you can be highly intelligent and have no wisdom. I'm always reminded of this amazing cartoon from Gary Larson many years ago, but I thought it was just great. Notice it's Midvale School for the Gifted. He's probably the smartest kid on your block pushing at the door that clearly says pull. Highly smart, highly intelligent, zero common sense. Wisdom is having empathy and understanding to make the right choice. And it can be summarized like this because many, you've probably heard this saying many times in your life, but it's so true. It can be summarized like this. Just because I can, that's intelligence, I have the ability to do this and I can do this, but it doesn't mean I should. That's wisdom. Just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something. And wisdom understands the difference. So then what gets in the way of our wisdom? What is it that's keeping us from living life to the full? Well, he tells us in verse 14. He says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly. It's unspiritual. And notice that last one. It's demonic. Because where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. So what are a couple of the big ones that are getting in the way of us being wise especially when we're dealing with conflict. First one's this, bitter envy. This isn't just envy. This is an intense jealousy. You're not just jealous they got that car. You're upset they got that car because how come I didn't get that car and they did? You know what I mean? How about that house? Pick your idol. If you're not careful, that seed of envy that you're feeling right there, it becomes a root of bitterness. And that root of bitterness, if it's not dealt with, will grow itself into a weed that chokes out everything healthy in your life, and you will become somebody you wished you had not. That's how dangerous envy and coveting is in your life. Are you playing the compare, contrast, comparison game, keeping up with the Joneses down the street, whatever it may be? 
check your heart. The next one's selfish ambition. And to be clear, there's nothing wrong with ambition of itself. It's good to have goals. It's good to have plans. It's good to be throwing your darts at something. I encourage that. Be passionate about something. Chase after it. It's not what we're talking about here because he put in the word selfish. Selfish ambition. You ever worked in an organization or been around a group of people where there's someone there that they want to get to the top and they don't care who they hurt, what they say, or what they do. They're going to get there no matter what. You ever been around someone like that? That's selfish ambition. Because at the center of their world is them. What happens when our world becomes about my wants, needs, and desires without any wonder or question about other people's wants, needs, and desires? We get tunnel vision. And what happens is you become a person that wants to get where you get no matter what. You may be even highly productive as a person. Sometimes these people get more done than anyone else, but they leave a trail of dead bodies behind them in their way. And in an organization called the church where the central foundational philosophy is love, you cannot do that. You can't do that. And notice he distinguishes between two kinds of wisdom here. Not just have wisdom, which one do you got? He says there's one that's heavenly that comes from above, and there's a wisdom that comes from below. It's earthly. Which one do you lean towards? And he describes the one that's from, that's earthly wisdom. He says it's demonic and it causes disorder in every evil practice. You ever been around somebody that no matter what it seems where they go, they're always causing disorder. They're always causing strife. They're always causing division wherever they go. And you say, why do they do that? I don't always have the answer to that. You might need to go see Dr. Don. I don't know. Because the answer is, best I can come to sometimes, is there's so much pain, there's so much hurt, there's so much brokenness in their life that they just can't imagine living life unless you feel what they're feeling. And they don't have enough self-awareness and boundaries in their life to understand what they're doing. That is earthly wisdom. And so now that I've laid the groundwork, let's go back to James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire something, but do not have it. So you kill. You covet something. But you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. But don't miss this. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you don't receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives. What's the key here? You do not have because you do not ask God. You've got two people. They're in the heat of battle. They're going at it. The tension's rising, arguing, yelling, whatever it may be. What would happen if one or either of those parties said, time out, we need to take a moment and talk to God? Have you ever done that? What would happen 
if we were able to throw the flag on the field and say, wait a minute, this thing that I'm wanting, this thing you're wanting, these agendas we're holding on to, do these align with God's plans and purposes in our life? How many arguments would come to an end if two people would just get on their knees and say, Dear Lord, show us your way? What do you want in this situation? And notice the destructive power of your desires. He says, You desire, but do not have. So you what? You kill. He says, That's pretty brutal. But I will remind you this time and time again. You do not have to murder somebody to kill them. Your words can do it just as effectively. That's why Proverbs 18.21 says, Your words have the power to speak life or death. Life or death. It's not sticks or stones will break my bones. You can destroy somebody through gossip, slander, and divisiveness. That's why James said, the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. And those, that last line, it's a little bit bothersome, especially if you follow the health and wealth gospel. It says you, you ask, but you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives. So you're like, but wait, God's a good father and I'm supposed to ask him stuff. Yeah, but let me tell you what God isn't. He's not an ATM machine or a cosmic genie. He's not here to grant you wishes. When you stop in that moment of the heat and you say, let's go to the Lord with this. Does this align with your plans and purposes? That's what we're saying. You're asking for something, you're not going to receive it because it doesn't align with God's plans and purposes in your life. And so many Christians get mad because God doesn't give me what I want when I want it. But did you ever stop long enough to ask God, is this what you wanted and had in store in my life? Maybe he has a different plan for your finances. Maybe he has a different plan for your marriage. Maybe he has a different plan for your job and for your Christian walk. And so many people are inviting God into their plans and purposes. They never stop long enough to surrender their life to him, his plans and his purposes in their life. Amen? And then we wonder why we're arguing. All those selfish ambitions. So what's the solution? What's the solution, y'all? Well, James doesn't leave us hanging, thank goodness. But you might not like the answer. Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. Did you know you had the power to resist the devil? If you don't, come talk to us. We'd like to introduce you to Wellsprings. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This one's important. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Get to that in a sec. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What's double-minded? I've got one foot in the world, and I've got one foot in the kingdom, and I think that's okay. And the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then what's the key to this entire thing? Frankly, it's the key to your entire walk with Jesus Christ. Humble 
yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Again, what would happen if two people put aside their selfish desires and submitted to God's will? How many arguments and quarrels would end just on that one act? And when we find ourselves outside God's will, James is inviting you back in. He says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. And maybe we ask the question, well, can't God just come to me? And the answer is no, because you know what? God doesn't wander, you do. His truths are solid, true, and steadfast. He is the lighthouse you can count on. If you don't find yourself pointed towards the lighthouse, you steered the ship that direction, not him. And I know that's hard to hear. He's saying, submit yourself. Come to him. Take the next step. Why do you need to take the next step? He already took the first step for you when he died on a cross for your sins and gave you a way to be reconciled back to him. And for that we rejoice. It's like the prodigal son. Dad's waiting on you to come home. So what is your next step? Wash your hands. Purify your heart. And to do all of that, you need to humble yourselves to the Lord. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to transform your, your mind and your heart and ultimately your tongue, and seek God's will. But I end with this. If, if, if there's just one golden nugget you take with you in your week this week, please take this. This reminder that we had from earlier from James chapter 1. Next slide, please. In fact, let's say it together again. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. One last time. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Start there, and he will lift you up.